This is Luke Fay, your TCC broadcaster and host of TCC Talk. I'm here with three Division One athletes coming up, Alan Roulette, Nolan Daniel, and Cyrus Grimes, who all committed to Division One. Alan committed to South Alabama, Nolan to Purdue, and Cyrus, of course, over to Marshall. So I'll start with you, Alan. What was your journey like to TCC? I'm sure that you weren't necessarily the highest regarded prospect coming out of high school, but going to JUCO instead of Division One, how'd you earn your stripes? You know, um, it's JUCO. So coming out of high school, I wasn't talking to very many people, only one other JUCO. And um, I was really just looking for a place to play, continue to play baseball. Um, I reached out to TCC. Um, Coach Pye was really great in the recruiting process. Um, and I just liked it when I stepped here, stepped on campus, and I wanted to be an Eagle the second I got here. You said that you didn't have very many JUCOs reach out to you. What what made it stand out um, when you reached out to TCC? Why was that the place you wanted to go? Um, I just knew a couple people from my high school coming to TCC. Um, I really didn't know a single thing about the baseball program, if I'm being honest. And um, I just came here through bullpen, and I saw what it was like, and then uh, I decided to commit. Let's uh, switch over to Nolan. Nolan, you came to TCC last year as yeah. well. What was it like transferring from high school ball to junior college ball? It's a little bit of a difference. Yeah, it's a, a huge difference. Having a pitch in high school, I didn't really have to make good quality pitches every single time. I could just throw my fastball and it would that would do the job pretty much. But then when I came here and started playing better competition, um, I had to work on making quality pitches every every pitch, every at-bat, because if I didn't, then the other guys would capitalize on my mistake. So, Do you think the panhandle, this conference that has had so many uh, World Series champions, Chipola, the yeah. last couple of years, this exposure help you get your scholarship offer to Purdue? Yeah, I do for sure. I think they, the D1 scouts know that we're in the panhandle and they know what the panhandle is about. So. I think it helped, goes a long way, for sure. And we'll move over to Cyrus, our final signee of the day, and Cyrus signed with Marshall. Cyrus, coming out of the high school, this is your so this is your second year over at TCC. You really started picking up later in the season, and then coming into fall, what what stood out to Marshall in this off season when you were working? Uh, I think they just saw me at a showcase, and they really liked how I swung the bat, so they gave me a call, and I visited the university. Really enjoyed it up there, so. I made a commitment. When you came to TCC out of high school, what was that like? I know we, we earlier heard about Alan's story. What was it like for you as a prospect coming out of high school? Well, actually, as a prospect coming out of high school, I had originally committed to South Alabama, but didn't really work out for me there, so I transferred here to find another school. So that's how I ended up here, and now I'm going to Marshall. What was your first year like under Coach McLeod? I know he's got a lot of tendencies, but uh, he's an old ball coach, kind of. He, he was mentored with Mike Martin along with that. Can, can you talk a little bit about what it was like your first year with him? Well, I mean, he can be a little tough at times, but he's always got, you know, your best in mind. You know, he's got a good heart, and I love him to death, so I wouldn't trade him. Talking to all you guys, um, could, could you speak of what it was like you finally, you signed probably earlier this week, I'm pretty sure, but today is the ceremony and everything. Can you talk about the your D1 dreams? Like as you were a kid playing little league ball and coming around, you two are pitchers, hitter. What, what was it like finally fulfilling that, that dream of going from Juco, which you guys got bus rides all the way over to Pensacola, a lot of showcases, 
to now you're going to be a Division One athlete at a, at a major school. Okay, but um, yeah, it really just started when I was a little kid. I lived up, I lived in Texas for 15 years of my life, and playing wiffle ball with my buddies in the backyard. We all just talked about how we wanted to go D1, and we all did it. Um, it was, it's been my dream for forever. And I didn't think that JUCO would be the stop on the way there, but you know that's what God wanted, so I'm here. And then South Al is the next, next destination for me. Fulfilling your D1 dreams, coming knowing as a kid, you know everyone wants to play in the major leagues, but even just making it to the college level, finally being able to be a D1 athlete, what was it like putting pen to paper? Um, it's definitely a relief to get it over with and know that all the hard work paid off. Yeah, it's just a relief to finally have it over with and know that everything I've been working for is coming true now. So. Cyrus? Well, it's just kind of like a stepping stone, you know. As a kid, everyone wants to play in the major leagues, but you don't really think about how you have to go to a Division One school and play in college until you're kind of here. So, like Nolan said, it's a relief, and it's just a stepping stone to the next level. Well, Cyrus, we'll stay with you. I assume that you went and visited Marshall at some point. Yeah. What was that visit like, and what stood out to you with the coaching staff and, and why that was the right fit for you? Well, they just talked about me, how talked to me about how we're going to work hard to get to the next level. and I mean, that's my main goal, so they pretty much sold me on that. I really like the culture there. The entire town is about Marshall University. So, I mean, there's just a combination of things, and I – like the whole experience so and uh over to his left Nolan what you you just visited Purdue I, I saw it on social yeah. media and you got back from there ended up committing what sold you on that place and and really the coaching staff because Purdue is is up there that's kind yeah. of in a in a state where as we said earlier isn't necessarily known for baseball what sold you on that um just all the facilities and stuff that they have there it just blew me away and um the coaching staff, I like the way they're all philosophies about pitching and about how we're going to get better and and then about the culture thing too. They took me to a basketball game at Purdue and the fans were into it the whole time. It was awesome. So, What role do you see yourself at Purdue? What position? Uh, hopefully starting pitcher. So, Be a weekend guy would be a goal gotcha. for sure. And then finally shifting over to Allen. Allen, what was it like that your trip to South Alabama, really the, the coaching staff and everything around that, trying to go D1 and, and really this was the right fit for you? Oh, that the campus was just so nice. So many facilities that were really nice. Um, I think the biggest thing was the coaches. They really made me feel like I was at home. Um, they just talked over and over about how I'm going to be a very big part of their program next year and just what we can do to finally get to that college world series and um yeah those coaches were just the biggest part well thanks guys any anything else you want to share with me anything to say to the eagle fans um, out there go eagles let's win a national championship there we go thanks guys <laughs>And now we're here with head coach of TCC's women's basketball team, Matt Huddleston. Matt, after dropping the first game of the year, you guys have gone on a little bit of a tear, winning your next five games and really bowling out USC Salk in, in one of your last contests. How do, you, how do you look at your team after that tough loss against Daytona State where in the fourth quarter you lost two out of your five starters going down the stretch? 
You know, it's a uh, <clears throat> it's there are a lot of lessons learned with a young team. Um, right now, in terms of players that have touched the floor, the only sophomores that have touched the floor this year, Rochelle Jacob and Noel Jackson, are uh, are both unique in that they didn't really play. Noel didn't play at all her freshman year of junior college. She was a track athlete, walked on here and has contributed. And Rochelle didn't play many minutes here. Uh, last year's a freshman, and uh, Noel, as of late, has has helped us out. Has provided some valuable uh, respite and and some consistency on the floor late in games. And Rochelle gave us great minutes in the first game, but uh, suffered a, suffered an injury that took her out. We're hoping to get her back here soon. Um, she brings a veteran attitude and. And a, and a level of kind of focus to the floor that is much needed. Outside of that, with freshmen contributing all the points and pretty much all of our games, um, you know, one thing we're proud of is that we feel like we're getting better every game. We face different types of competition. Um, each one has challenges. Road competition's always big with freshmen. You know, how are you going to react to road trips? Um, I believe Santa Fe really gave us a test, followed by traveling out to Niceville to play in their event. I thought Northwest Florida did a great job hosting it. Um, you know, we went in there, and you know, our first game there, we were a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, we'd got 90 shots up, but you know, a lot of layups didn't go in, and that that's a that's a place we've got to we've got to shore up. We can't miss as many layups as we missed there. I don't. I, as you know, I don't mind missing threes, yeah. but I, I really, really have a problem with missing layups. So you look at that score and you look at what the final score was. They did a great job. Um, you know, Denmark Tech really, really came to fight and hit some big shots. But, man, you know, you, you, we missed a good 20-plus layups, and, and that, that, that right there changes the pace of the game for us. Uh, our final game against U.S. Salk um, on the road, you know, I think that was a good test for us in execution, concentration. Salk's got down a few people. Glenn does a great job with his program. Um, we we wound up the end of the game five on four. They were down to just four players uh, that could stay on the floor, and and we uh, we tried to work on our execution. We fouling has been an issue for us. If you look at the first half versus second half, I think they had 12 points in the first half. Nine of them were from the free throw line. Uh, USC SOG. In the second half, they had 15 points, but only one of them was from the free throw line. That's something we're trying to change. Uh, we want to play aggressive. We want to stay in people's faces, but we don't want to give them a chance to stay in the game just because we foul. You you mentioned the fouling, and, and that's what happened in, in that fourth quarter against Daytona State, where your, start, your two starting guards foul out of the game, and, and some of the players are playing out of position in, in that sense. What did they learn from it? Um, were, were you a little bit too aggressive early on in that game? No, no. We the, Really, the fouls that hurt us were what we'll call silly fouls, fouls where players are trying to make a difference and they don't need to make a difference. Um, you know, it's a different, it was a different type of game. We, we weren't totally, if you look at, uh, you look at Polina, um, Nikolakina, um, Nikolakina, sorry, um, she, um, she, I think went like 0 for 11 for three pointers in that game. And since then has probably been hitting threes at a, 
at a rate of about 45-50%. She's been pretty much money from the three-point line. So, you know, some of that's freshman nerves. It's it's having some people foul out. But, you know, interesting stat from that game, one I think my team will never forget. It's a good coaching stat. It It's about impossible to win a game where the other team makes as many free throws as you attempt. Mm-hmm. And so that's a differential. I'm big on three-point attempt differentials. I'm big on a lot of things. But that's a differential just very hard to make up. So, you know, they, I think, made – see how good my memory is. I think they made 22 free throws and we attempted 22 free throws. So um, I'll fact-check myself on that, but I believe that's correct. And and looking looking at that game, you, you mentioned the three-point attempts that you guys have been shooting a, a bunch as of late, and they haven't exactly fallen – early on this season, do you think that that's just an adjustment to the junior college ball? or, or Because in practice, you shoot so well, but once it's in a game time, it's so much different. See, you're focused on percentages like the fan base is, but we uh, we had last three games alone, I think we went hit eight threes in the last game and 11 threes in the Denmark Tech game and 11 threes in the Santa Fe game. I think right now we're averaging more made threes a game than they did a year ago. Um, our attempts are up about 50% above a year ago. There are a lot of freshmen involved. Overall percentages don't reflect our three-point shooting threat necessarily because everyone shoots the three. I heard a fan in the last game get, when they saw um, <laughs> when they saw Brianna Chambers take a three. They said, "That's a center shooting three. <laughs> but we have to be a threat. You know, you never know when somebody. Rita James has an off game or two, and then. In our final game against USC Salk, she walks out and nails two threes. You know, um, I, I, I'm just I'm I look at three pointers. You know, as as something you have to have confidence in. I think if if we told people to stop shooting, we have a player or two right now who are not necessarily on a hot streak, but in other games they hit two or three out of four or five for us. So, you know, we just we have to remain a threat from the beginning to the end of the bench. I don't think I've coached in my first six games here, I don't think I've coached a game yet where we – well, better way to put it, every game I've coached, every single player who touched the floor scored. And so that's something I take some pride in too. You never know who's going to be hot. My lineups change quite a bit. Um, our starting lineup stayed a little consistent last couple of games, but our rotations from the bench, we sub about every three minutes. Um, with injuries, that's re- you know it's reduced the amount of substitutions I'd like to make, but uh, everybody plays, everybody scores. I Yet again, I think I could be wrong on one game, but I think for every game, every player has scored. So, you know, the three-point thing, Confidence is a big thing. Uh, if you look back, Olivia Eller, for example, the our last home game, she hit a couple of NBA range threes. As she goes on a little bit of a cold streak, I'm not going to tell her to stop shooting. I mean, that's a that's a real threat right there. You know, she figures that out. She goes on a game where she hits eight of them, and everybody calls me a genius. You know, I, I've I've been harping on the Daytona State game, but I, I want to take back to the very final minutes where you guys battled back and got into the game and drew up a great play at the end. The shot just didn't fall. Can you talk about that play? Uh, at the end of the game, we actually hit two threes. <laughs> one from Brianna Chambers, our only one on the season, and one from Kyra Smith off of an inbound play. That we It's a it's a sideline inbound play. We made one adjustment to it, draw, draw a few more defensive players towards the rim. 
Um, we were looking to possibly get the ball to one player, but it's a play we run every day. And the last option is the inbounder steps in bounds, looks to take a handoff or shoot a three. Kyra chose to shoot the shoot the NBA plus range three and sunk it, which put us within striking distance to win the game. Um, but that's all confidence. Again, it's just a confidence thing. You know, I, Polina uh, did an interview after our last home game with our with our Aussie color personality Luke and yeah. he uh, he does such a great job on the games she did an interview with him and I you know he was asking her about the deep three she hit because she hit one that was near the TCC logo and <laughs> without even thinking about it and you know I think her response was just confidence you know we just get uh, the, as much as we do shoot as much as we we look to create shots off of inside out passing our players just get a certain confidence going. And, you know, when I see that confidence shaken by some misses, we get out on the floor and we shoot together, just one-on-one and work on form and work on work on the mental piece of shooting. So, um, so yeah, Daytona State, look, it, it, it's a good game. I mean, Daytona State's been on a bit of a roller coaster themselves. They, you know, they dropped uh, one to Hillsboro. I know they wish they had back. And then they beat uh, Chipola by two. And then they drop one to Miami Dade on Sunday that I know they wish had, they had back. But that's that's what good basketball is about: not being able to totally predict who's going to win each game. It's competitive. Last person, or well, last thing I want to talk about is is Sadeja Payne, who you did not have in that Daytona State game. You also didn't have didn't have Anna, one of the twins as well, who went down with an injury. But Sedasia comes back and has really stepped up in this lineup since she's come back after after missing that first game. Yeah, uh, Sedasia right now for us, Sedasia Payne is is doing some pretty spectacular things from a statistical standpoint. Um, she doesn't shoot as much uh, from three point range. That is a decision she's making. I've not made it for her. Um, she has. Uh, but her her stats, I mean, when you just look at her her field goal percentages right now, Sedasia is shooting, I think, in the 60s uh, field goal percentage wise. I mean, it, it's it's an insane it's an insane stat for a freshman. Um, uh, I'm gonna double check it while I'm talking to you because I I read it the other day and I had to I had to check myself on yeah 60 percent. Um, after five games played, she's shooting 60% from the field. That's something you usually see from somebody who's six foot seven, and we're talking about mm-hmm. somebody who's maybe about five foot nine. And you have so, her listed as a guard. As yeah, well. she yeah. and she is a guard, and yeah. she just she's she's incredibly athletic, incredible body control. Um, our last home game, uh, there was an unfortunate foul where a player actually kind of grabbed her from the waist, and when you know, talking to officials after the game. One of the things everybody commented on was the amount of power Sedasia has because she actually, girl grabbed her around the waist and Sedasia didn't fall over and Sedasia didn't even look like she was phased by it and kind of just kept playing. Um, so, you know, she's she's been an important injection of energy for us. Anna Nicol... Nikolochkina. I got Anna Nikolochkina. I'm trying to do better at saying their names off the cuff. We got Nikolochkina. Via Nueva now. Yeah, Via Nueva. Um, But Anna, um, I'll tell you, sometimes people contribute without touching the floor. Here's a player who's faced a lot of minor injuries. Um, 
and you know, I don't know if she ever misses a practice. If there's a workout session and she's not able to do it, she's sitting over there running the clock. She's in the gym in the weight room helping, you know, coach other people through their lift. She's so mental toughness. I love this, you know, years ago sat in with a military leadership uh, training seminar and talked to a guy about what is mental, talked to one of their uh, lead, one of their leadership trainers about what is real mental toughness in the military. And, you know, in the sports, I think we often equate it to, you know, using mind over matter. Basically, you know, you have an injury and you just say, I can fight through it. But mental toughness is, is how you deal with the hurdles how you deal with the challenges do you break mentally do you see those obstacles as just mere challenges and try to figure out your way around them but Anna is a great example of incredible mental toughness nothing has phased her about what she's been going through so far can't wait to have her on the floor because when you have somebody that mentally tough off the floor what they do on the floor can be pretty special now, as we wind down this interview, Matt, I was told a great stat by our SID slash athletic director, director of athletics, Rob Cheney. He said that through six games, the 5-1 record for is the best record in TCC women's basketball history for a first-year coach. How does it feel to be the greatest first-year coach of all time to start out? I, 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 this is an SID stat I've ever heard. It's like being the best rebounder in basketball history on Thursdays in a full moon. Um, you know, look, the way you start, this goes along with what I tell my players every day. And, and I hope I'm able to live up to this. But the way we start has really not, you know, it has something to do with it, but it doesn't have nearly as much to do with the way we finish. So, you know, my, my judgment on how I do as a coach this year is going to be in the growth, in the execution of what we're doing, both on and off the floor, academically, culturally, basketball-wise, at the end of the season. And at the end of, for most of my players, in, in the two-year period, what have I done for them? What have I helped them learn about life and, and gotten ready for? So, you know, that's I, that's how I'll judge myself. It's it's uh, I will never ever discount a W. They're hard to come by, trust me. Anybody out there listening who thinks W's just come at ease, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, but um, but I will say, you know, it, it's nice to hear at the same time, you know, I'll be judging myself on different standards on the way I finish. Well, Matt, let's make history here at TCC. Thanks for joining me, and uh, as always, go Eagles. Welcome back to TCC Talk. I'm your host, Luke Fay. I'm with our third guest, Rob Cheney, the Director of Athletics. And Rob, it's been an action-packed day here at TCC, signing day for the Eagle Fall Class. Yeah, this is one of the favorite days, I guess, out of uh, our calendar. And we always try to uh, you know, do one in the spring as well. But this, this was one thing when I moved into the AD role goodness 10 years ago now I guess uh, would have been my first fall as AD uh, fall of 2009 and that was one thing that I made a point to start back then was bring us together and give our sophomores a, a nice opportunity 
to announce where they're signing and, and give them a chance to, to speak in front of their peers and, and us just kind of stop and take a couple of minutes and give them the proper recognition. There was a great turnout today by not only some TCC fans and students, but, but their, their players and teammates. Absolutely, and that, that's, that's part of it. We, we want everyone to kind of be able to just hit the pause button for 10 or 15 minutes and come together. It doesn't always work out sometimes. You know, teams are on the road, we're in class, other responsibilities, but uh, it is a chance for us to come together as a department and celebrate what those student athletes have accomplished, and that is earning an opportunity to continue their academic and athletic careers at a four-year institution. And we had five in there uh, today. Uh, you, you spoke to some of them earlier in the show. Yep. Um, we had three from baseball, uh, Nolan Daniel, Alan Roulette, Cyrus Grimes, and then we also had Yael Hill and Calix Stevens from the men's basketball team. Uh, for Yael, he's going back home. Uh, mm. He's a, a Cleveland native, and he's going to be going back to Cleveland State University. And of course, their very, new coach is Dennis Gates, long-time assistant. Yeah, long-time assistant with uh, Coach Ham. Over at FSU, so I know Yael is excited for the opportunity to go back home. And uh, Calix Stevens announced that he was signing with Indiana State. Of course, Indiana State, when you talk about men's basketball, Bird. Larry Bird, you know, so uh, well-known and, and put them on the map uh, 40 years ago, which is hard to believe. But real good opportunity for Calix. I think that's going to be a, a good landing spot for him. But at the end of the day, uh, great opportunity. We, we have fun with this. It's wonderful to recognize that particular accomplishment, and we hope to do that again in the spring. And as uh, if you go back and watch video, Zach Setembre, he, he talks about how both those guys were D2 and made, made the jump to NJCAA, um, whether you could say that was a ladder move or whatnot, but it ultimately got them to their goal of getting to D1, which is not only is it a goal for TCC athletes to get to D1 on an athletic level, but a goal academically as well. Well, I think it's a great message and a great, um, what's the word, great endorsement for the two-year system, both mm -hmm. academically and athletically. I think we continue to fight a stereotype at this level as coaches and administrators. And I know our leadership in the national office, Chris Parker, uh, CEO of the NJCAA, I know he is so very active in trying to get our message out nationwide and help people truly understand the mission of the National Junior College Athletic Association. And for so many young men and women, I, I realize that the temptation is hard when you come out of high school and you've got that you know, Division yep. One offer maybe waving in front of you, or Division Two even. It's so easy to just jump on it because it's four year, as opposed to looking closely at a two year opportunity that after those two years might help you get a better opportunity at a four year institution than you would have had coming right out of high school. And, and developmentally, it's it's almost akin to when you're a freshman and sophomore in high school. Could you imagine trying to make that jump that quickly? People need to mature, and, and sometimes your body isn't ready at 18 or 19 years old, and, and you've seen that with a number of players here at TCC that D1 wasn't the right fit for them. D2 not necessarily wasn't the right fit for them, but coming to junior college and, 
and really finding themselves academically, socially, and athletically, they, they've gotten better and, and made that ultimate jump, which is when we're at TCC, the whole goal, and I'm sure that's the goal for everyone, whether you're a head coach, an administrator, anything, is you like to see people have success. And part of that success for one of these athletes is to go to Division One, which is what they've done. Well, we want to work together, and it starts from the first touch point with the college, that being – well, probably a coach, you know, in with athletics, a coach is going to recruit you here. But at some point, that student comes through these doors and they connect with our admissions staff and they're going through a new student orientation and they're meeting with advisors. And we're hopefully finding opportunities to engage them with the rest of our student and campus life. And that brings in a whole other area of student affairs. And then you take into account everybody that they interact with over here, whether it's the coach or myself as athletic director, Jonathan, our trainer, you, um, Tony as, uh, you know, our broadcast crew, Robert Meeks as, you know, facility manager, but Robert's also at the table on game nights and in the games. They, they interact and they cross paths with so many people who have an opportunity to help make this a positive experience here that hopefully keeps them on track to get to this opportunity. And that's what we're all striving to do is to help put them in the best possible position to be successful here at TCC and beyond. And and one thing people don't really know is how much hands-on in JCAA is compared to the Division One level where you can kind of uh, be lost in, in, in the paperwork all the way over there where it's not as connected as junior college where you the door is always open here at the athletic office right. to go and ask questions and, and be be around these coaches and, and everyone else. You, you learn a lot. But, Rob, this is not the only signing day for junior college and, and other athletics. You're going to have the spring coming up as well, and you anticipate a lot more athletes signing to the Division One level as well. Absolutely, and, and hopefully the other young men and women who sat in there today, that ceremony gave them a little extra motivation to want to experience that for themselves. But absolutely, uh, we, know, um, we know we have many more sophomores and, and you see it, you know, some some make that decision early, some want to make that decision early, some want to to wait until the end of the season. Uh, it goes both ways, and, and we support uh, either either or. But, yes, I would anticipate a, a pretty large group in the spring, and, and we'll do it all over again. Well, Rob, changing gears here, let's, let's switch over to a sport that is completely finished now, and that's cross-country. Uh, I know we went all the way out to New Mexico – can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of what happened there and, and what's next for, for maybe coming into track season right. as well? Well, the team, uh, the, the men's team and two of our female runners uh, did go out to Albuquerque, New Mexico two weekend or be two weeks ago this coming weekend um, for the NJCA Division One Cross Country Championships. thought it was a real good experience for them as, as we talked on our last episode Mm -hmm. about the terrain of Albuquerque, which is well known for its altitude. And uh, certainly if you, if we had uh, some of the runners on the show, I think they would would tell you that that certainly uh, played out the way you expected. You could tell a difference. That was one thing that I did hear them saying is that they, they could definitely tell a difference. And I think every, you know, every runner, handles that a little bit differently. Um, we actually had 
was looking down my list here, we actually had you know some PRs set out there, you know, which again you you might not necessarily expect that going into a race of that magnitude, but uh, Austin Urbeo actually uh, finished uh, at the top of the pack for him in. You know, he had been kind of in that number three or number four spot on the mm-hmm. team most of the season, but he goes out there and lowered his PR by more than two minutes, finishing in uh, 30 minutes, 35 seconds. So I think everyone handled we're just built differently and we handle yep. those conditions differently. But Austin ran a PR, uh, Jaywan Newbin, he PR'd with the time of 34-11. And uh, for the women, uh, Genevieve Prentice, as she has all season long, was the top uh, female runner for Tallahassee. Uh, interestingly enough, she beat the young lady who won the state championship race here in Tallahassee a couple of weeks prior. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the order that they finished here in Tallahassee, uh, Genevieve was third. No, Genevieve, yes, Genevieve was third that day. And the number two and number three in the region moved up and were the top two runners in New Mexico. And the young lady who was tops in the region was you know, third, you know, out of that trio in New Mexico. So, again, yeah, a, lot, a lot of factors go into that. But I think Genevieve was, was pleased with her time, I'm just looking down my list here. Uh, she ran a 20:31, so it wasn't a PR. But yeah. I think if you, you know, if you kind of convert that to Tallahassee conditions, it probably would have been. Uh, but she finished uh, 67th overall, which placed her inside the top 25% of runners nationwide. It was a huge event. Uh, but again, for those uh, eight runners that went out there, I think it was a real good experience. Uh, they got to spend uh, part of the, the day after the race doing some sightseeing. I know they found some higher elevation, higher cool. elevations even and got to experience some snowfall. Wow. And for some, uh, Coach Joe said that was the first time they'd ever seen snow. So I think it accomplished a lot of things. They obviously got to run in a very competitive event. Anytime you can participate in a national championship, regardless of the sport, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. And we've always wanted to make our national championship trips uh, an experience that they would remember. And so I think they got to um, enjoy some of that and, and bring some memories back to Tallahassee. Rob, cross-country winds down, but what, what's next for, for Coach Droz and, and his other team? Well, they're track and field. They're they're immediately transitioning into uh, the track season, which if you just look at the calendar, it started. We will not be running in any meets until the spring semester, but you can be in that mode of of practice and beginning to figure out you know who does what and what the events will look like and and work towards a final roster. So I know uh, they will hold a time trial this Saturday afternoon out at McClay School here in Tallahassee. Um, we're just trying to get word out uh, to the students who have expressed an interest in being a part of the team, and and we'll uh, work towards that final roster cut early in January 2020. And I would anticipate us kicking off the season probably towards uh, mid to late February. I know we always uh, joke about this, but there's going to be some uh, some school records set this year in track and field, wouldn't you say, Rob? I would anticipate that, yes. No doubt. 
Yeah, just in a, a very new inception of this program, it's great to see the amount of uh, love we've we've encountered. And I, I talked to Coach Rose a couple of weeks ago, and he said over 60 people have reached out, and you're getting emails daily about it. it, it and from been, high school athletes as well. Yes, the, the, the interest has been tremendous. And you know, one thing... One thing that I really want to work with him on is finding ways to leverage the fact that, one, we're the only two-year program in Florida that runs both cross-country and track. That's a huge recruiting pitch to high school seniors, okay? So we've got to find a way to leverage that fact and going forward, I also want to look at some ways, and I've, I've got a couple of ideas in mind, uh, but ways that we can leverage the fact that we have two huge events that come to Tallahassee each fall, the FSU Invitational and the FHSAA State Cross Country Championships in particular. That yep. event was in town the same weekend that cross country went to New Mexico. You had 2,000 high school runners in town for a state championship event. There are some things that we can do to leverage that opportunity that I think can yield some good results for us in continuing to build this program. Rob, uh, one of the final things that happened in the last week, and I know that I wasn't able to be there. It was a week ago today, or let's see, yes, yesterday. It's been eight days. TCC was in a fight to the end against Andrew College where they gave up a pretty big lead, and Coach uh, Zach Setembre said that it wasn't the prettiest game, but they, they found a way to win. And for those of you who did not watch the game, Eric Hester knocked down a three-pointer at the buzzer to win the game for TCC, and they escaped. It was just great to see that. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to be on the call, but what was it like sitting courtside and, and really taking in this huge contest this early in the season? Well, I'll tell you this. It was a very exciting college basketball game. And if you, if Veterans you read, Day was a holiday as well. It was. Um, it, it was. It was very exciting. I uh, may not be able to pull this up uh, quickly enough here. If you read the recap um, from that game last uh, Monday night, I mean, you, you would hopefully get a sense of just how exciting it was. Over the last ten minutes alone, there were seven ties and twelve lead changes. I mean, it was. It was very nip and tuck, and yes, we had a, a 16 point lead two minutes before halftime. Uh, they cut it to seven by the half, and before you knew it, we were down a point to start. The, I mean, in the I, I saw the, of the second. I, I saw the tweets just start going down. I had a yeah. show during the the middle of the game, and you see, just it's a closer game. It's cl- Andrew College takes the first uh, lead of the game early in the second half, and, yeah, and once they, once they got the lead. There was very little separation either way yeah. the rest of the game, and so it did set up for an exciting finish. I mean, you know, young man for Andrew who played a phenomenal game, I can't recall his name, a uh, little point guard, goes to the line with 27 seconds left, uh, or 29 seconds left, something like that. I think he was four for four from the line, and he missed both. Yeah. And so that gave us the opportunity to now drain the clock, and, and Eric, he, I mean, you watched it unfold. He was going to take that shot, and one of two things were going to happen. We were either going to win the game or it was going to overtime. There was not going to be four seconds left for a no. 
put back or a chance for them to get a rebound and heave one or us foul on a rebound attempt, and, it and was going to be win or overtime. What, what Zach said was he was looking for a ball screen. That's what they had asked to, to call out, and Eric kind of pushed it off and said, no, 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 I got this, and, and went one-on-one and drained an NBA three and got knocked. I mean, it was a very tough shot. And it, and just looking at him as a person going from Florida, going to Akron, being out of basketball for an entire year, for him to be able – to, to make his way up, it, it's, a, it's a great thing to see a guy like that, you know, finally reach reach almost a pinnacle here. It, it was a tough shot, and uh, thankfully we had uh, folks all around the facility who, who captured it from different vantage points, and, and I would consider it a shot that went viral because if you follow us on Twitter, uh, you saw uh, a, just a real quick seven or eight second video that a couple of my interns captured and that has generated over 4,600 views. Uh, I was shooting it from my seat at the score table, which got a few hundred views. Um, someone uh, cut up the uh, final shot on our live stream with uh, Tony Johnson's play-by-play. That got several hundred views. Uh, Instagram, I mean, it was a, a really cool moment, and I think it just goes to show the power of social media and, yep. and how that is something that is so easy for us as coaches, athletes, administrators, interns, play-by-play, whatever you want to call That is such a way for us to connect to a moment and just relive it and relive it and relive it. But it was cool. And I was trying to think after the game, and I, I really never came up with one, and I still haven't as, as far as the last time that I saw a true buzzer beater like that. Because uh, your moment, if you recall, a couple years ago. With Juju Redmond, it, there was they about put, 0.8 seconds they put, left. They put four-tenths of a second or so back on the clock. Uh, so I have I have not been able to come up with one that I sat here and watched literally uh, happen. I can remember one that happened against us. Uh, Northwest Florida State College uh, hit a three right at the buzzer about five years ago to win the game. Uh, I do remember that one. But I cannot remember one that and, we hit. Yeah, and on the road, um, I can't. Uh, was it women's basketball where, uh, or no, that might have been a different game where someone hit a buzzer beater. But yeah, it's not very often that you mm-hmm. see see that happen and to happen on your home floor and in front of a good set of fans and you know you're recognizing it was, it was the a, veterans. It was a it was, it was a, a great good, day. It was a good atmosphere that night, and you're right. I mean, the shot literally went through as the backboard lit up, so it, it was cool. But yeah, good. Good, good ending to a really exciting game. Uh, both teams are off to a nice start. The men are 5-0. and uh, They moved up a spot to number seven in the new NJCAA rankings, which came out on Monday. Uh, the women, after dropping their first game, and you know, I think uh, you know it's only fair to note they were a little shorthanded that day. Yep. Um, but they dropped their first game of the season. They've won five in a row since and uh, playing really good ball. And, and it's a you know big week for us. We host our annual big thank or not Thanksgiving, but November classic. It's the yep. Courtyard Classic that'll be held here Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, women's action only on Thursday night, a 7:30 game against uh, the College of Central Florida. Then we have four games total on Friday. We will play a doubleheader, uh, women and men, on Friday evening in the. The night session, 5.30, the women will play Snow College from Utah, and the men will play Southern Crescent Technical College out of Georgia at 7.30 is the published start time. And then we'll have three more games on Saturday. There'll be a 
neutral site women's game at noon, uh, men's game at 2, and then our men will play Georgia Highlands College at 4 p.m. Uh, should be a really good game uh, to close it out. But big event, um, you know, Courtyard uh, by Marriott is our host hotel, so you know, we put their name on this classic each year. But uh, we've also got tremendous support from Chick-fil-A on West Tennessee Street, who will be uh, essentially feeding, uh, providing a meal for each of the teams. Uh, while they're here in Tallahassee. And then we always get tremendous support from the Leon County Tourist Development Council via the Tallahassee Sports Council and their grant program uh, to host this event. So really appreciative of the local support. I hope uh, our fans will come out and catch the action. There is no football in town this weekend. I know yep. there's a big game on Saturday with the Florida Classic down in Orlando uh, for Florida A&M. But um, I hope everyone will uh, find some uh, find some time and come out and uh, support the Eagles, uh, especially for the women. This will be their final home games before uh, you know conference. Yeah, and Rob, uh, as as we end this podcast, I, I do want to point out that Florida State does have a coaching vacancy over in football, and as someone who has hired two coaches in the last four months, you know, I, I, you got any advice for them over there? You have to. You just stay true to who you are, know what your values are, and <laughs> you know there, there's no way to uh, you know shut down Twitter or, or social media during this time. But you know for for the for the for the fans, it's probably best that you know they don't pay attention to social media right now because social media is not who's doing the hiring. Yep. Um, you know David Coburn will do a great job of this he'll make a really good hire for florida state and um i know we all anxiously await that decision but they'll get it right well rob anything else tcc related that that you got for us well as always i want to remind everybody to follow us online tccegles.com is where you can go to catch up and get the latest news and information you can get to our live streams from the website Uh, beyond that our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram predominantly, uh, but you can find us always at TCC Eagles. Uh, like us, follow us, favorite our content, share it, retweet it, uh, help us continue to get our brand out there and let everyone know about the great things going on at Tallahassee Community College. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for joining us. Thanks Go Eagles. Go Eagles.